Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and in this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NFL and what's going down there. We'll be touching on Jack's Pack, our NFL betting segment. We'll be talking about a very active NBA offseason all of a sudden. We'll be talking about the NCAA, what's going down there, and how they're battling COVID and getting through COVID, I should say. And remember, you can find the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Alrighty, guys, and we are back and welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. Now, the NFL gave us a long very long week the longest nfl quote-unquote week in nfl history stretching nearly 10 days or nearly 11 days actually culminating in wednesday night football between rg3 and the baltimore ravens against the pittsburgh steelers now for everybody who loves football this was an interesting sight because it was wednesday night football the first time we ever had a wednesday game to my recollection at least in the past 20 years it was the first time we've seen RG3 on a national landscape as his own man since the last time they played Pittsburgh. Even before that, probably Cleveland. It was the first time we got to see RG3. It was the first time the country could really hone in on a Steelers game outside of when they played the Ravens the last time with Lamar Jackson under center. So a lot of things were being looked at in this game. It was a mixed bag. Uh, it started off turnover city even the announcers kind of chuckled at you know it was fumble it was pick fumble pick six touchdown i mean it was very weird it was like the first three possessions were both turnovers by opposite teams because baltimore Ravens put the ball on the ground a mesh point that come without practicing rg3 and the running back clearly did not have chemistry there and the ball hits the ground the mesh point and then you have Big Ben throwing a interesting interception, to say the least, on fourth and goal when I thought the Steelers should have just taken three, especially against a team that they knew were going to have to struggle to score points. You want to take Baltimore out of their power run game as quickly as possible. And so I thought Pittsburgh should have went for three there, but they went for it. And Ben threw an interesting interception that didn't really have a chance in the red zone and then rg3 says i want up you and i'll stare my receiver down and joe hayden because the steelers love running on cover six joe hayden jumps the out route pick six and then the game kind of comes back to normal it was a very boring game after that for a while and then it got exciting and rg3 showed us some flashes from the past he had a big 39 yard run which I could almost feel my body lifting from the chair. It was like an out-of-body experience. It felt like I was in the front row of the arena, but I didn't see RG3 in a Ravens uniform. I saw Robert Griffin III in a Redskins uniform wearing number 10 back in 2011-2012 when it felt like the whole world was in his hands, when it felt like he was going to take over the NFL. When guys like Skip Bayless were proclaiming him better than Andrew Luck, I personally said he was better than Andrew Luck. I was like, if I had to start a franchise, give me Robert Griffin because their arm talents are what and what and Rob was way faster. And so it was good to see that. 
and then you saw the reason why he's no longer that person his foot appeared to slip on a read option pull right before halftime and I mean, as soon as he did it I that pulled hamstring and it looked like it was pulled he tried to battle through it for another quarter but it completely took Baltimore out of what was starting to get to Pittsburgh which was their power run quarterback design because when they were sending Robert Griffin through the middle he was getting eight yards a pop nine yards a pop I mean Pittsburgh did not have an answer for that scheme and it was really starting to affect them but then mismanagement the clock late in the half and Luke Wilson dropping a touchdown that he should have easily caught and brought in to put Baltimore ahead. I knew Robert was hurt. He tried to work on it a little bit at halftime. You can tell because early third quarter, he could still run a little bit. But then by the time the fourth quarter came, he was starting to hobble on rollouts. And he just wasn't the same anymore. So it was definitely a mixed bag from Robert Griffin in terms of his performance. I wasn't a huge fan of the play calling. Uh, it seemed very predictable early. It was first down run. No, no mesh point, just a run, just a basic handoff, hand the ball off, okay, you lose the yard. Then they usually did some sort of play action on second down, some sort of RPO action on second down. That usually got them about two yards. And then on third down, it was a straight drop back to go deep. Well, you're missing three offensive linemen. And before Bud Dupree blew his ACL, you had Bud Dupree and TJ Watt coming for the Steelers. That wasn't going to work. So I wasn't a huge fan of the play calling in terms of helping Robert early. Um, speaking on Pittsburgh's side, I wasn't impressed. I don't think they're winning a Super Bowl. Yeah, they're 11-0. Who cares? I don't think they're winning an AFC Championship game. To be honest, depending on who they get matched up with in the first and the second round, because they'll probably have to buy, depending on who they get matched up with in the second round, I don't see them making it out the second round. Pittsburgh plays Tennessee today on picking Tennessee. That's just plain and simple. And yes, they played already. But Pittsburgh got a couple of bailout calls in that game late. Otherwise, they'd have a loss. Pittsburgh plays Kansas City right now. I'm picking Kansas City. Pittsburgh plays Cleveland? Coin flip. I mean, it's, it's to the point where I think Pittsburgh might be the fourth or fifth best team in the AFC. I mean, they beat Indianapolis. They beat Houston. I'm trying to think of other possible division winners. They beat whoever played come out of the AFC East. Although you give Belichick a week to scheme for you and Cam Newton is healthy with a power run game, the Patriots might get them. There's not a Super Bowl winning team. They had to completely alter how they play. They can't run the ball. And so I don't know how Pittsburgh gets to and wins the Super Bowl. The next game on the docket is the Philadelphia Eagles and the Seattle Seahawks. Now this game was interesting because I said this before that I wanted to really sit down and watch and dissect the game between a Carson Wentz-led Eagles team versus a good football team. Now, Seattle's defense is much improved over the defense that showed up the first six weeks. Jamal Adams is back. Jamal Adams missed a good chunk of time in the middle of the season where the defense completely fell apart. I mean, he's still their best blitzer. He's still their best pass rusher. He's still their best uh, second best linebacker. Because he think he's better than KJ Wright at linebacker, but he's not Bobby Wagner. And he does so much for that defense that not having him is like, okay, we lost a safety, a, a defensive end, and an outside linebacker all at one person, and a slot corner. Then they went and traded for Carlos Dunlap, who was a malcontent in Cincinnati. And when you're a malcontent, especially on a bad team, you tend to not give your 100%. That's just facts. You hope somebody good comes and gets you. Seattle did that. 
So they fixed their defense. They're allowing Russell Wilson to go back to, well, letting Russ simmer. The let Russ cook thing was fun. He gained a lot of stats. He was the MVP favorite. It was fun. But then the turnover started to add up because when you keep adding ingredients to a pot, eventually you add too many and it doesn't taste as good. And we got to the point where he was adding too many ingredients to the same pot and it didn't taste as good. So we're gonna let Russ Summer. We're gonna dial him back. We're gonna bring his passing attempts back. We're gonna go back to more of the offense I expected at the beginning of the season. It's not that 52% run offense, but it's in the 40s. It's a lot of play action rollouts now to take advantage of eye discipline from, from linebackers or opposing teams. And so Russ really has to take advantage of that situation. Now back to the Eagles. And a game I really want to watch the game for about that Eagles team to see what I could see. See if it was looking like it was a Carson Wentz problem, if it was a Doug Peterson problem. The answer is neither. The answer is Howie Roseman. Look, you had one drafted pro bowler since 2014. It's the quarterback everybody's trying to replace. It's Carson Wentz. That is the last drafted pro bowler on the Eagles roster in 20 since 2014. I mean, Bill Belichick has a bad reference record in drafting. And it's talked about like a lot more. And he has six Super Bowl championships. The Eagles have one. And many would say you're lucky to get the one. And they have one drafted pro bowler since 2014. The quarterback that nobody seems to like anymore. Alshon Jeffries done. He looks like Dez Bryant. Him and Dez Bryant run about the same speed. Cornerbacks are backpedaling and shuffling faster than they are running forward. Deshaun Jackson's always injured. Love him, but he's never there. Travis Fogan was a nice story. There was a reason he was cut by the Packers in the preseason. Greg Ward Jr. is a college quarterback at Houston. Zach Ertz is yeah, Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard are great. And Richard Rodgers. Three good to great tight ends. Amazing job at the tight end position. Jason Peters is still trying to play football. I mean, they're moving him from tackle to guard, trying to find somewhere that he could play and be useful. I don't, I mean, all your offensive linemen are hurt. Your defense is a bunch of pieces that you grab from other places. Darius Slay and Fletcher Cox are great. Two great jobs there, Darius Slay and Fletcher Cox. Where's the rest of the talent on defense? You got a good punter, good kicker. But other than that, this team was has degenerated very fast since Super Bowl year. That Super Bowl team had was a lot better players, but it was the same players just three years ago. And so I think Howie Roseman plays a big hand into the Eagles' dysfunction. Personally, I would go in terms of what I would see in the Eagles' issues. I would go Howie Roseman one, Doug Peterson two, Carson Wentz three, and then injuries and injuries just bad luck three a. So I would definitely rank them like that. But shifting to New England and Arizona, that was a game that shocked me. But it shouldn't have. In Jack's pack, I went with Arizona. I thought Arizona was going to win the game. Uh, That felt like more picking head over heart because I was trying to, my brain was telling me, you know, Arizona's going to win this game. Kyler's fine. Kyler's fine. And... He didn't look fine. You can clearly see that from the play calling. 
third and two is shorter, second and two is shorter, still hell, second and five are shorter, it's Kyler Murray time. It's a mesh point, it's an RPO scheme, it's trying to isolate a defensive end to where Kyler just runs around him, even isolating a linebacker. And they clearly did not do that until like the fourth quarter. So Kyler's shoulder was clearly banged up. New England had a brilliant strategy. We're going to put Stephon Gilmore on DeAndre Hopkins. And we're going to run the air out of the ball. Cam Newton passed for less than 100 yards for the second time this season. This time was on a win. He did it before in San Francisco. That was due to, I think, incompetence. He just, he just didn't play well. This time looked like by strategy. The attempts were down. I think he was 9 for 18, if memory serves me correctly. The attempts were down. He really was just a game manager. It was a lot of power run scheme. It was a lot of making sure that Arizona offense did not see the field. And New England won the football game. Uh, Arizona kicker Zane Gonzalez blew it. By missing that field goal, he gave New England a chance to go make one. I, I wonder how the play calling would have shifted New England down three instead of New England tied with the possibility to win the game. But Nick Foe banged it through the Nick Folk banged it through the pipes and New England won the football game, which was huge for them in their quest to still make the playoffs and damage Arizona severely. Next, we're going to talk about New Orleans and Denver quickly. Um, congrats to Kendall Hilton. He can always say he was an NFL quarterback for a game. Much respect to him. I don't know how anybody expected him to do much better than that. I mean, he, yeah, he played quarterback in college briefly, but he's been a receiver for years. He didn't even practice throwing but for like 48 hours before the game started. I mean, he had him like a Fitbit or an Apple Watch on the field. I mean, he clearly was not used to playing the quarterback position anymore, and he did his best. Um, he completed a pass, put three points on the board, equal to what Tom Brady did against New Orleans. And he was an instant quarterback overnight. Like he woke up one morning, probably to a phone call or a text. Hey, call me from the coach. You're going to play quarterback Sunday. So that was very interesting. It, I know it probably shook a lot of organizations to the core about what would they do in a situation like that where you have to have an overnight quarterback, where it's an emergency quarterback. I know several teams now are isolating one quarterback away from everybody. So I know it's a plan in a couple of locations where they have full quarterbacks on the roster. One's technically practice squad and his job, he doesn't come in the facility with the other quarterbacks. He doesn't work out with the other quarterbacks. He doesn't do anything with the other quarterbacks. So in case of an event like Denver happened, they still have a actual quarterback instead of grabbing a receiver or like New England will probably grab Julian Edelman. For the Saints, it's odds are Taysom Hill because he doesn't do a lot of their meetings. Taysom Hill would probably still be fine if Drew Brees and Jameis both go out. So that would be a situation to watch on several teams. But congrats to the Saints for handling business and not being caught in the fact that it's not their normal quarterback or it's not even a quarterback letting their guard down and losing to an inferior opponent. And for the big game of the week, Kansas City versus Tampa Bay. Hey, NFL. Update, alert, big, bright, flashing lights. Don't guard Tyreek Hill with one person. It's not the fact that he's the best wide receiver in the game. That's DeAndre Hopkins. Let's kill that situation like right the second. The big, bright, flashing lights is he's the fastest person in the NFL, and I don't think it's close. Stop guarding him with one person, especially with not your fastest person. 
Now, Jamil Dean was in concussion protocols, if memory serves me correctly, for the Bucks. So that was probably how Bowles was playing was to put Jamil Dean on him. Because yes, Tyree Hill is the fastest person in the NFL, but Dean's ridiculously fast. So it was to the point where as long as Dean had good technique, he could probably run with Tyreek Hill one-on-one close enough where Mahomes had to make the perfect throw. And if the safety's close, you can pick it off. When Jamila Dean was no longer there, why are you putting Carlton Davis on him? He's big. He's not the fastest guy on the planet. Carlton Davis is great for Sammy Watkins. He's better for Travis Kelsey. Not Tyree Hill or Miko Hardman. Those guys are too fast for him. And it showed. Tyreek Hill had about a 200 yards in the first quarter. Patrick Mahomes threw for nearly 400 yards in the first half. 200 of which is Tyreek deep. And then Brady started trying to come back. He had a couple of unfortunate interceptions. One bounced off a helmet, which the ball was bad either way. That was a bad football. Um, it bounced off Sorensen's helmet into an interception. And he also had an interception trying to throw a fade route to Scotty Miller against the Chiefs' tallest corner, which that was a bad idea. But he had a pass rush in his face from Ty Matthew. And Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are still unconventional and decided to throw the ball on late down instead of handing it off, killing the clock, try to get it back, you know, give it to Brady under 30 seconds and stuff like that. They threw the ball and didn't give it back to Brady at all. And Tom had to watch the last four minutes and 10 seconds from the sideline. Arians and Brady seem to be on a collision course. It feels weird between them two. It seems like they're never on the same page. Like they're never quite in sync with each other. And so that's a story we're definitely going to watch because it looks like, you know, when everything's going great, Arians is big and jolly. and He's talking about how great Tom is and et cetera, et cetera. But then when things go badly, it's, oh, we hit those throws in practice. Or we don't miss that in practice. Or I'm not used to that because we hit those in practice. And it's like something's got to give there. Now Arians is saying that Brady's calling the plays, basically. Now, I don't know what that means. That could be a situation where Brady, you know, before the week, they sit down Friday and they talk. And they go, okay, Tom, what do you like this week? And Tom gives them 55 plays he likes. Usually average NFL team runs. 60 plays, 65 plays. So Tom sits down and gives them 70 plays out of the playbook he feels comfortable. Probably 40 he really loves because you can run the same runs over and over again. And runs probably don't matter to him. Look about 40 plays. About 40 pass plays he really loves. Maybe 20 he's just in love with. And then they probably try to stick around those concepts. Even if they don't call that exact play, they, they call around those concepts. And that could be something where they're trying to compromise in Tampa. But up next, we're going to take a quick break. This is a little long-winning segment. And up next, we're going to talk about next week's games, and then we'll flow right into Jack's Pack. All righty, guys, and we are back. And now we're going to continue with our NFL discussion, and we'll talk about this upcoming week's slate of games. Now, the first game we're going to talk about is a huge game in the AFC between the Cleveland Browns and the Tennessee Titans. Just imagine me saying that about, I don't know, three years ago, that the Titans and the Cleveland Browns are a big game in the AFC for something other than a draft pick. But it's a huge game. Cleveland 7-3, 8-3, Tennessee, I think it's 7-4. 
It's a huge game in terms of, hey, neither one of these teams are going to win their division. I don't think Tennessee is going to beat Indy. Maybe. In, in, Tennessee might beat Indy. This could be huge for a wild card situation. Cleveland's not going to catch Pittsburgh. That's obvious. They're three games back with five left. They're not going to catch Pittsburgh. So this is huge for a wild card spot to secure the fifth seed for them. As for Tennessee, they could still win this division, the AFC South, battling Indianapolis. So this is a huge game. It's an enormous game. We get to see probably the class of two strengths because what does Cleveland do well? They have a great front seven led by Miles Garrett. What does Tennessee well do well, especially this time of the season? It's King Henry time. He's looking for a buck 50, 200 every game. He's just starting to get rolling. And now you've got legitimate weapons on the outside and A.J. Brown. And you've got a quarterback in Ryan Tannehill that's playing very efficiently, not turning the ball over. And actually living up to the contract that many were kind of shocked he got before Derrick Henry got his. And so with Henry starting to roll and playing that good Cleveland Browns team. And my second pick, second, for Coach of the Year and Kevin Stefanski, he's done a great job with that roster. Look, we said it before the season started. Cleveland has two of everything. They're like Noah's Ark. They've literally got two of everything. They got two good receivers, two good backs, two good tight ends, two good corners, two good safeties, two good defensive ends. I mean, they, they got two of everything. The only they don't have is two good quarterbacks. They don't have one. But Cleveland is doing a great job schematically. They're keeping the ball out of Baker's hands. They're keeping his attempts low. They're treating him like his backup, Case Keenum. He's effectively Case Keenum. So, I mean, they're going to have a decision to make in terms of extending him because you don't want to pay Case Keenum $35 million and then you start losing your two of everythings because you can't afford them anymore. But in terms of this year, they're doing a great job with Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb. They're running the ball on people's throats. They're keeping his passing attempts low and usually short off play action. And so when you've got a mix like that, Good job by Kevin Stefanski identifying his roster, identifying how to use his roster, and making sure that they are used in the proper way. The next game we're going to talk about is Indianapolis and Houston. Now, this game is big because of the game we just talked about. This game is huge because of the AFC South. Look, it's looking like the AFC South champion, whoever doesn't win the AFC South, excuse me, will be the sixth seed because Cleveland is all but locked in the fifth seed. That's just how it looks to me, that Cleveland's gonna be the fifth seed, the AFC South second person will be in the sixth seed. And then the seventh seed is currently up for grabs, depending on who gets there, all kind of other things. But it appears right now that the AFC South second place team will be in the sixth seed. So you can go from third seed to the sixth seed pretty quickly if depending on this weekend you saw what Tennessee just did to Indianapolis last week an absolute beatdown led by Derrick Henry and so indeed now is playing a Houston team that has a little confidence Houston's beat two 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 teams two teams with talent in the past couple weeks they put it on Detroit they beat New England now neither one of those teams have great records but anytime you can beat Belichick anytime that you can defeat any NFL opponent even if it's the Detroit Lions, it's on Turkey Day. It was in Detroit. That's two huge wins, especially off a short week after a big victory against New England. So that'd be an interesting game to watch. Uh, if I had to pick a winner there, I would pick probably Indianapolis. Although it wouldn't shock me if Houston won the game. 
again, Indianapolis has Old Man Rivers, as I call him, but Phillip Rivers is liable to throw a game or two away. That's just, just what he's liable to do. So I wonder if Frank Reich, who made Carson Wentz what Carson Wentz is today, I wonder if he will take the ball out of Rivers' hands late in the season. You know, you worry about those older arms. You've got to worry about Brady's older arm in Tampa throwing as many times as he is. Drew Brees is, I don't know, through injury, luck, misfortune, is getting another five, six-week break like he got last year with Teddy Bridgewater to where his arm will still have pop and juice in it in the postseason. So Rivers won't get that break. And I want this game, he'll throw one away. It's a huge game for them after they got embarrassed last week by Tennessee. So that'll definitely be a game to watch. The Los Angeles Rams and the Arizona Cardinals. Look, I am loving how the NFL decided to do their schedule by making mandatory division games week 17. And then you usually start getting important division games towards the end of the season. This one could not be bigger. Now, in the preseason, I said the, the NFC West may have four teams in the playoffs for the first time in NFL history. I was wrong only due to injury. I think if San Francisco was healthy, they would still get all four in because San Fran lost to a couple of teams outside of division. I don't think they would have lost to had they been fully loaded. But the NFC West still has a great chance to get three teams in with Indianapolis, sorry, with the Rams, the Cardinals, and the Seahawks. Now, the winner of the division is going to be the three seed. And then, and then the losers of the division, in my opinion, will be the five and the six. So it'll be a fresh division matchup. It'll be you'll play somebody in the division for the third time. So I think your goal is to get to the fifth seed, which is to play whoever wins the NFC East. I would bet on Philly right now. They have the best quarterback left. And so this is a huge game to possibly decide a tiebreaker or two to get to the fifth seed if something were to happen and one of these teams were to be in that fifth seed and not in the third seed with the division crown. But the Rams and the Cardinals are a huge game. Uh, I will not pick this game because it is in Jack's pack, although there's something to look out for. Kyler Murray was a full participant in practice despite the shoulder injury, so that's a good sign there. And the Los Angeles Rams were just thumped. I mean, usually the Rams don't get thumped twice, Arizona doesn't have a defense that can thump you, so that'll be something to watch out for there. But I will be definitely keeping an eye on that game, and we'll talk about that one a little later in Jack's Pack. Speaking of another game in Jack's Pack, the New England Patriots versus the Los Angeles Chargers. This is a very interesting game because the Chargers aren't playing for anything. I mean, they are not even playing for draft picks. It's probably better for them if they continue to win football games. Anthony Lynch trying to save his job and an 8-8 record may just do it. He can point to a rookie quarterback and, you know, injuries again, not having Derwin James again and amongst other injuries the team suffered and he could possibly save his job. However, um, uh, New England is playing for a playoff spot. And look, the AFC East is winnable. I don't care what anybody says. I don't believe in Josh Allen. I didn't when they had him in the MVP discussion. And guess what? I don't know. So when you got a situation like that, the Patriots still have Coach Belichick. They still have, in my opinion, the best quarterback in the AFC East. I don't care. I don't care what Josh Allen is doing. Cam Newton's a better talent than Josh Allen. And 
they have the best organizational structure in New England in the AFC East. Look, two was great, but like we talked about in preseason, what is what is my concern with Tua? He's injured a lot. He's already been injured out for a game and a half, and he's already been benched in a month. You don't think it's a tryout now? I said it before. You don't, you don't think it's a tryout now? Look, Tua's not going to be there next season. Hot take. Burn it down. Sound the alarms. Tua will not be there next season. He's already been benched and hurt in four or five games. That ain't great. And then they have Houston's pick. Houston's probably going to have a top seven pick. What if, I don't know, Zach Wilson from BYU is just sitting there. You think Miami's going to pass that up? I don't. You could trade Tua like the same thing we did for Josh Rosen. Trade Tua for a second to some organization. And then build the team around Zach Wilson. Or build the team around Trey Lance. Kyle Trask. But I don't think two was the guy in Miami. But we'll talk about that another time. But speak, but going back to the New England Chargers game, again, I will also not pick that due to the fact that it's in Jack's pack later. And as for the last game we will talk about, Dallas and Baltimore. Now, this game has been shifted due to... It was supposed to be last night, but this game was shifted due to Baltimore's game being shifted from last week all the way to Wednesday. So they kicked this game back all the way to Tuesday, if memory serves me correctly. So we'll have Tuesday Night Football again. Hey, yo. Gotta love Tuesday Night Football. I will never turn down more NFL in my life. And due to the fact this game was shifted, it's going to be a very interesting contest. It gives Dallas plenty of time to prepare for Baltimore. It will allow Lamar Jackson to be back. He should clear COVID protocols and plenty of time to get a couple of practices in before getting on the field. And this is a huge, huge game because it's, this is Dallas's offseason and Baltimore's postseason all in the same breath. Look, Dallas has made as a crazy theory tossed out by a guy pro football focus. Like, could Dallas or should Dallas trade the number four overall pick and number four in Dak Prescott to the Jets for the number one overall pick to get Trevor Lawrence? That goes out of play if Dallas wins a couple games and they end up eight or nine. Well, I'm not going to eight or nine. So that goes completely out of play. And for Baltimore, lose this game and you can pretty much kiss the playoffs goodbye. So Baltimore has to start winning games. All the rest of their games in that schedule is very winnable. They can go five out of six and go ten and six and be hopeful. I think ten and ten and six is very attainable for them. They're going to need that, in my opinion, to get into the playoffs. And so this is a huge game in terms of offseason implications for the Cowboys and postseason implications for the Baltimore Ravens. But we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to talk about Jack's Pack, which is our NFL betting segment. Hello, everybody, and welcome back in. And now we're going to shift to Jack's Pack, which is our NFL betting segment. Last week, we got a little better. You know, we had the winless week. Then we had the one win week. Last week, two wins. Hey, getting a little better there. And so I looked at the numbers this week. Not the best numbers ever, admittedly. 
and our total right now we are nine games under 500 which is right now seems to be the national average i mean everybody seems to be a few games under 500 the pandemic and just the unpredictability of the nfl this year has really been throwing people for a loop but this week the numbers don't look too bad not the greatest numbers ever but hey we're gonna just dive right into it with the miami dolphins getting 11 and a half versus the cincinnati Bengals. if joe burrow was on the field this number would probably be miami you know minus three maybe maybe minus four but without joe burrow minus 11 and a half feels a little low the dolphins are going to torture whoever is at quarterback for the Bengals. And I think the Dolphins are going to run away with this game easily. So Dolphins minus 11 and a half. Take the Dolphins. Saints versus the Falcons. Falcons plus three. Take the Saints. Look, I know they just played two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago. And Taysom Hill had an absolute field day. He ran all over the Falcons. Really gave those guys a headache. And I know it's in Atlanta this time. And maybe, you know, that should be a discouragement in terms of, hey, you know, Atlanta's going to come out fighting. They've seen them before. They got two games of tape on them. But it's two completely different games of tape. And the first time, Taysom came out throwing the ball, dropping back, hitting Michael Thomas all over the field, you know, playing NFL quarterback. Against the Broncos, given their quarterback situation, they came out. Sean Payton said it. We came out, ran the ball. Our whole job was to not turn the ball over. We figured the opposing team couldn't score a bunch of points with an emergency quarterback. So we decided to just not turn the ball over. And so the games look completely different. You don't know which Taysom Hill to prepare for. You don't know if you're preparing for a running shoot or a gunning quarterback. Or you're preparing for his days at BYU option style football. And so it would be very interesting for Atlanta to prepare for. And because of that, I would take the Saints, even though they have to give up three points. Our next game we're going to do is the Las Vegas Raiders versus the New York Jets. The Jets are plus nine. Take the Raiders. Look, it's plain and simple. A good team got absolutely embarrassed by the Falcons last week. And now they're playing the Jets. It's like the perfect medicine. They're going to absolutely run through the Jets, literally. I expect a big game from Josh Jacobs. I expect a kind of struggling pass rush in Vegas to have a get-right game, even though Mekhi Becton's been great for the Jets. The rest of the offensive line is still very porous. And so I expect the Raiders to dominate that game, win by at least two touchdowns, definitely cover the spread of nine. And I, in that game, I'll pick the Raiders. Now, one of the games we talked about in the last segment, Rams and Cardinals. Cardinals plus three. Take the Cardinals. Look, I think Kyler Murray is going to get in the playoffs. And to do that, he's going to start after winning a couple of these games. And so I think this is going to be the game that he starts winning. Look, the Rams have a great secondary. Jalen Ramsey is going to give DeAndre Hopkins fits. He just is. He, I mean, Jalen Ramsey is the perfect corner for this division because everybody in the division has a big receiver that they like to depend on. You have DK Metcalf in Seattle. You have DeAndre Hopkins in Arizona. And even though he's not a necessarily tall receiver, Debo Samuel is a physical receiver. And that's the kind of receiver Jalen Ramsey likes guarding. That being said, I would go Arizona here. Look, if Kyler Murray's shoulder is as healthy as they say it is, I think his running ability will give the Rams fits. They're going to have to do something with Aaron Donald because he's better than anybody they got on their team. I mean, I can say that by anybody. 
but they're gonna have to do something with Aaron Donald, but I think they're gonna do a lot of quick passes, a lot of runs away from him, trying to trap him with offensive linemen, smacking him backside with tight ends, things of that nature to try and really disrupt him and his timing. And I just think that Cliff Kingsbury is due for a good schematic game and a good game where him and Kyler are on sync and they score 30, 35 points on somebody. The Arizona's defense is going to have to do their best to make Jared Goff come off his first read, whatever that is, get him away from Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. Watched a lot of film from last week because they struggled to do that, to get to their initial read as soon as they were trying to get there. So that is something that they will definitely have to do in Arizona. But I would pick the Cardinals to win that game. And the last game of the Jacks pack will be Patriots versus Chargers. It's a pick them. Pick the Patriots. That was easy. I didn't have to go up any points. It was an even line, so pick the New England Patriots there. Look, the Chargers always tend to blow games late. The Patriots know they're playing for their playoff lives. That win last week versus the Cardinals I just talked about was huge. It definitely kept their playoff lives afloat, and so they're going to have to start stringing games. Like I said about the Ravens earlier, the Patriots could very well end up at 10-6. and 10-6 and six should get you in. So it'll be very interesting because the New England owns a tiebreaker over Baltimore. So if they are the seven and the eight seed, quote unquote, both of them are 10 and six records. Patriots get in because they beat Baltimore head to head in the monsoon game a few weeks ago, 23-17. And so with that being said, I would pick the New England Patriots there to start their march to the playoffs and get in. So just for a recap, I would do Dolphins over Bengals. Saints over Falcons, Raiders over Jets, Cardinals over Rams, Patriots over Chargers. Now up next, we're going to talk about what's going down in the NBA offseason. That's all of a sudden getting very interesting. Alrighty, guys, and we are back. And the NBA offseason is almost over. Shortest NBA offseason ever, about 72 days, give or take. And considering free agency didn't start till about a month ago, it really only felt like, you know, like it actually was a few weeks before we were going to roll right back into the NBA season. NBA individual workouts have already started. And the NBA offseason, I thought the big news was done. And then it wasn't. John Wall and Russell Westbrook were traded for each other. Now, this rumor started a couple weeks ago that the uh, situation was coming about. And but the G two GMs had not talked for weeks, and then they picked up the phone, called each other. I don't know who called who, but they, within a few minutes, according to reports, the deal was done. It was a fairly simple deal. It was pretty much swapping bad contracts for each other, and then to pick up the better player, you sent the draft pick. It was pretty simple in terms of a GM deal. There was no third team involved. It wasn't five or six players. It was two point guards swapped. And then the team would give them the worst player to get the better player, throw in a pick. That's what the Wizards did. They threw in a first round pick, decently protected, lottery protected one year, and then top 12 the next year, then top eight, then it becomes two seconds a year after that. So, I mean, the Rockets will eventually have the Washington Wizards first round pick. I think they'll have it this year, actually. We got the Wizards are gonna make the playoffs now with Westbrook and Beal. And so the Rockets will have pick top lottery pick now that the Rockets are going to make the playoffs and then they'll have you know number 16 or whatever from the Wizards the reason why I say the Rockets won't make the playoffs is because I don't think they're going to have Harden all season 
Harden was not in Houston at the start of the individual workouts, but head coach Silas said he expects Harden to be there when practice officially starts, but Harden was not there during individual workouts during that period, or at least the first day of them. In regards to the Westbrook and Wall trade, the Wizards won. You got the better player. Especially because the pick's not going to mean much. You got the better player. Now, the only reason why we can definitively say Westbrook's the better player right this second, well, because of history. John Wall's never done Westbrook's done at any level. Besides, Wall was a better college player. I give you that. But once they got to the NBA, Westbrook's been the better player. He has a three three year triple doubles. He has the MVP. He doesn't have an injury history. We haven't seen John Wall in the NBA basketball court in two seasons because of two back to back injuries that he had. He had a heel or a hamstring or ACL, something like that, a low leg injury. And then he turns right back around and while recovering from that and almost back, slips and falls down his stairs and tears his Achilles. And so we haven't seen John Wall in the NBA court in two years. Now in the open runs, he looks great. We don't know if that's, you know, 30 minutes of an open run and we got two minutes of video out of it or, you know, they played for 10 minutes and he just looks great for five or six of them. We don't see consecutive possessions. We don't see missed shots, obviously, in the film. We see a great step back move. We see a good quick handle, stuff like that. But we don't see the misses. We don't see, you know, maybe he still can't shoot the basketball, things of that nature. So I think the Wizards won big, especially because the better players going to the weaker conference. Look, in the West, it's a point guard gauntlet. Every night pretty much has a dominant point guard or a very good point guard on the other team. I mean, even break it down to, like, Memphis. They have Ja Morant. Like, Memphis might not make the playoffs, and they have Ja freaking Morant at point guard. Dallas has Luka. The Lakers effectively have LeBron or Dennis Schroeder, depending on how that situation goes. And so on and so forth in the West. Nuggets with Jamal Murray. I mean, the Clippers give you a reprieve. I think that's Patrick Beverly, who's no slouch on the defensive end. So he'll give he'll be a menace to you there. But on when you're guarding him, it's not that big of a threat in terms of offensive production. But Westbrook out East, he's the best point guard in the East. And it's not even close. So now you have the best point guard in the East. You have Westbrook if you're Washington. You have a coach he's used to in Scott Brooks. Scott Brooks was around when he had the MVP in Oklahoma City. You've got Bradley Bill, who, off the top of my head, best shooting guard in the East. So you got the best backcourt in the East. You got the best two players in the backcourt in the East. The Wizards can make a lot of noise out East. They've got a pretty decent supporting cast around them. So, I'm, I mean, they're definitely in the playoffs. So Washington will be in the playoffs for the first time in what feels like forever. And they will make some noise in the playoffs. You don't want to play them in the playoffs. I mean, Bradley Beal or Westbrook or both can go for 30 on you. So it'll be a very interesting watch to see how fast they gel. Because Bradley Beal is fairly ball dominant. Russell Westbrook is one of the highest uses race in NBA history. So it'll be very interesting to see how they gel and how they come together on the court. I think they'll make it work. They're two great players. They'll figure it out. In regards to Houston... I don't know how this helps you. I mean, if the rumor is true that James Harden wanted Wall over Westbrook, A, he's a terrible GM, and B, I don't know how that helps you. In my opinion, if I'm John, if I'm James Harden, I really want out. You just traded a bad contract for a, a bad contract for a guy we hadn't seen play on an NBA court in two years. Open runs are great. Spectacular. Beautiful. We have not seen you play in two years. I mean, open runs, Ben Simmons shoots threes. 
So open runs clearly are just a, a figment of imagination in terms of what to expect on an NBA court. But we'll see if that helps him. DeMarcus Cousins was happy. He gets his old college roommate back from Kentucky and John Wall. But we'll see if he was if that was enough to convince Harden to at least give it a go this season. And, you know, participate in the first part of the season. If it doesn't work out, I'm sure they'll blow it up. Okay, correction. When it doesn't work out, I'm sure they'll blow it up. And they will evaluate from there and move on. Now, this is spurning rumors of Giannis. Not this trade specifically, but he still has not signed his Supermax. I'm sure Milwaukee's offered it. He has not put his pen to paper yet. And so the Bucks will go into the season, all signs are pointing to, without having their superstar locked down for the foreseeable future in Giannis. It'll be very interesting to see if he inks that deal before the season starts. He has until, ah, I forgot the date, but it's sometime in the middle of the season to sign it or it goes away. And he'll just have to go into free agency or the last year of the deal without it. So that'll be interesting to keep an eye on there. Now, the huge news outside of the Westbrook and Wall trade was that the Lakers have secured the dynasty. Congratulations, Lakers fans. You have secured your dynasty. LeBron inked the two-year max extension, $85 million. Uh, According to his agent, Rich Paul, told The Athletic. And then within a day, Anthony Davis signed his five-year, $190 million max extension as well. Now, a lot of people thought, hey, he could sign a two plus one, especially if LeBron were just going to add a one year on. He could sign a two plus one, go into a free agency in year 10, in which you're eligible to sign your 18 year max, which secures him in Los Angeles for 10 seasons. It'll be probably 10 years, you know, 450 million or something like that, because it'll probably pay him $45 million a season. And with that being said, it would be huge for Anthony Davis to do that in terms of financials but he opted to not do that. So instead, he signed the five-year max at, you know, the most he can sign it for, $190 million, and secures the Lakers. At least a championship this season, in my opinion. Possibly you get another one before LeBron's out of his extended prime, and the Lakers are back on top of the NBA. Congratulations. Look, the Clippers have loads of dysfunction. That's why they're trying to trade off everybody that was around Paul George and Kawhi last season because everybody seems to be an issue with Paul George or Kawhi. The Brooklyn Nets, you really think Kyrie and KD's going to last? Really? Like, you you can't believe that, right? Like, okay. Jokic and Murray, they may be together. They're just not as good as LeBron and AD. Or the rest of the rest of the team because they lost Jeremy Grant and they're gonna have to count on Michael Porter Jr. to really step up. James Harden and John Wall do it for you? I didn't think so. So Chris Paul and Devin Booker? No. Russell Westbrook and Bradley Bill? No. I mean it's just what other duo can you think of in the NBA that will possibly challenge these two for titles in the future, health notwithstanding. Steph and Clay are hurt now. Well, Clay is always hurt now. So like he'll never be back to what he was. It's been like injuries starting to bite him. So that being said, congratulations, Lakers. Get prepared for a couple of championship parades. You may have to do a two for one next season because of, you know, COVID this year and you couldn't celebrate and stuff like that. So you may have to do a two for one. But congratulations. 
you will be NBA champions for the foreseeable future, in my opinion. But up next, we're going to shift to the NCAA and what they're doing wrong with COVID and how they're trying to adjust with football and basketball. Alrighty, guys, and welcome back in. And now we're going to talk about the NCAA and how they're dealing with COVID. So obviously we have college football and college basketball back, but college football has been getting hit with COVID outbreak after COVID outbreak. It has not been going well to the point where the Big Ten could have screwed up their own season and knocked themselves out of the college football playoff. Here's why. They did not have contingency plans in their schedule. So the SEC, for instance, built in contingency plans. They had a week already in everybody's schedule. They had an automatic bye week in everyone's schedule. And then they had another week in everyone's schedule where, you know, December 12th, for instance, you could play a makeup game on December 12th. No big deal. If a game was canceled, you just immediately shift it back to December 12th. That way everybody could play everyone. And you have all your opportunities to play your 10 games. Spectacular. Great. The Big 12 did something similar. The ACC had a couple automatic buys in there. It was perfect. It was great. The Big 10 did not do that. They had seven games, seven weeks. I think everybody had a bottle week like early in case it was an early outbreak. But then games now for Ohio State have two games, I believe, have been canceled for them. If they do not play the rest of their games, they need to play every game the rest of the season or Ohio State will be ineligible for the Big 10 championship game for not playing enough games in the season. And therefore, this, sorry, ineligible for the college football playoff. That's humongous because Justin Fields, if they're deemed ineligible, probably walks. I mean, maybe he finishes the season out, but I wouldn't. He may walk out of Ohio State early without having a shot at the college football playoff. That is an enormous screw up by the Big Ten and show that they did not take into account what could happen. But yeah, they had a week before they were outbreak. And they had, they did probably Tennessee playing was, we got, we might get one game canceled for one team, but we're not gonna get, you know, three or four games canceled for the same team. That's beautiful, sweet, naive thinking. You should have had, like the SEC, a couple of weeks where you could have adjusted things and moved things around to make teams eligible had an automatic week before the Big Ten Championship game. Had, you know, week four, everybody's out. So if you got a game to cancel in the first three weeks, you just play it on week four. You have week seven. Everybody's on a bye week. So if you have a game canceled before week seven, just play it on week seven. That way, if somebody had two games canceled early, they can play week four and week seven. Now everybody's happy because everybody gets a chance to play their games. And everybody's eligible for the Big Ten Championship. So this is a massive mistake by the Big Ten. It could ultimately cost them a college football playoff spot. It could cost us as fans a shot at seeing Justin Fields in the college football playoffs with a chance to redeem the, himself and the team for losing to Clemson last season. Now, as for college basketball, they played the Maui Invitational in North Carolina. That was interesting. Uh, North Carolina basically hosted it. It wasn't in uh, Chapel Hill. But, you know, when you're in North Carolina, if you're playing Duke or North Carolina, it's basically a home game. So although there was no fans, it was it had a North Carolina home game feel. 
and they made it all the way to the final game to lose to a very talented Texas team on a great late shot by Texas. You had the Champions Classic. That was great. That's great every year. You get Michigan State. You get Duke. You get Kansas. You know, you get, you know, the four blue bloods of college basketball. Not named Carolina. They're not in it. But you get the four blue bloods of college basketball on the floor together. What I think they should do is they should turn into like a baby tournament where the winners play. Because, you know, you just play, you know, two teams match up, two teams match up. They do it that way. I think it should be whoever wins the first two games plays in like a championship kind of situation. So I think they should definitely install that for the Champions Classic. I would love for them to do that where, you know, Kansas beats Kentucky and then Michigan State beats the fourth team, which names escape me right now. They the winner plays in a basic you know, they do basically a championship game to find out who's the best blue blood in the country to start the season. So that'd be something definitely for them to look at, in my opinion. But all in all, NCAA is doing a great job at adjusting. Uh, not a lot of games have been canceled. I'm seeing teams, college teams, fly all across the country playing. You know what that means? Even small schools like Southeastern are going to play 11 road games in a row. They play at LSU, then they went up to the Northwest. So they're going to play games all across the country never playing at home. What that means is that passing coronavirus tests, contract tracing is working. We're not hearing about any massive outbreaks. So that means that the protocols are working and the players are taking it seriously. That is a great thing for collegiate athletics because a lot of times those guys get bad reps about not doing things properly. Um, that being said, good job NCAA. And up next, we're going to shift to the best for last, which would be just a discussion on some great sports families. Alrighty, guys, and we are back with our best for last. And in this week's episode, the best for last will just be a quick appreciation of some great sports families, especially currently. So, as we know, we know about the Griffies, Ken Griffey Sr. and Ken Griffey Jr. Only MLB family, father and son, to be on the same team, to hit home runs back-to-back. They've got a lot of records I don't think will ever be broken because of how long Ken Griffey Sr. was great and how fast Ken Griffey Jr. was great. So, I think it'll be hard for anybody to do that again in baseball. Basketball has a shot because of LeBron with his new extension. His contract ends right as Bronny graduates. If Adam Silver gets the rule change, Bronny shows up, and then LeBron and LeBron Jr. can share a court together if the rules and, you know, injuries and things like that shake correctly. But the reason why this topic's in the show is because Leangelo Ball, the middle ball brother between Lonzo and LaMelo, signed an Exhibit 10 non-guaranteed deal with the Detroit Pistons. By signing that deal, which is effectively a guaranteed training camp invite and pretty much a spot on the G League team if it doesn't work out with the big league, with the work out with the NBA team, he'll pretty much get a pretty decent bonus of about 50 grand, I think, to sign 50 or 500 grand, one of the two, to sign with the G League team if he makes it on the G League team for two months. It's basically you have a G League spot regardless if you make it on the big league team on the NBA team, you have a G League team. Congratulations, you're an NBA player now. That being said, that puts all three Ball brothers under NBA contracts, which is something LeVar said was going to happen. It's another W in the column for LeVar. He's right a lot more than we'd like to give him credit for. 
a lot more than national media would like to admit, he's right a lot. Now he has the number two overall pick in Lonzo Ball. He has a number three overall pick in LaMelo Ball. He's not, he, they're the only brothers to ever go in the top five, and they win the top three. They could have won the top two had Minnesota, what I'd done, what I would have done, which was draft LaMelo, uh, drafted LaMelo to Minnesota. He could have had the top two, but he ends up going three to the Hornets, and who immediately starts putting guys around him, Gordon Hayward and things of that nature. Um. So, but anyway, so Lavar now has all three of his boys on NBA contracts. Again, his ultimate goal is to get them all on the same team. Now he's pointing at Charlotte. Remember, his originally his point was get him in Phoenix. He said, get them all in Phoenix, get him with that coach in Phoenix, and let them run up and down the court, and they'll win you a championship in three years. Now his target goal is Charlotte because Lamelo's there. Jordan is the owner. Leangelo is in the league now. And Lonzo could hit free agency very, very soon. I think he's actually due free agency next summer, I believe. Uh, his rookie free agency. He'll be, he'll be a restricted free agent. So, that being said, his goal now is to get them all on Charlotte. But this topic's brought up because the Ball Brothers, amazing as that is, is not the only family with multiple siblings in a professional sport. Even better, three siblings in a professional sport. I have Obviously, you've got Lonzo Ball for the Pelicans, Leangelo Ball for the Pistons, and LaMelo Ball for the Charlotte Hornets. You've got Derek Watts and TJ Watt in the NFL for the Pittsburgh Steelers with older brother JJ Watt on the Houston Texans. You've got the Edmonds brothers. One plays for the Bills and one's on the Steelers, I believe. You have the Holiday brothers in the NBA. You have Justin, who is a pacer. You have Aaron. And you have Drew, who is the better of the brothers, the oldest brother, who just got traded to the Milwaukee Bucks. And like I say, you have other great families throughout sports. And so that is just great to see. I love when I see multiple siblings all get in, multiple people all going to do everything that they wanted to do in their lives and be professional athletes providing for their families. But that is all we have for today's show. It was a great show. It was a long show, unexpectedly long show, but I hope you guys stuck around for the entire thing. Don't forget to follow the Twitter page at JTime Sports for breaking news and updates. And also, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.